Welcome to Behind the Curtain, LA Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. In this podcast, listen as we explore the experiences of the future generations of opera lovers. Moderators Dr. Christy Brown Montesano and Xochitl Hernandez chat with LA Opera Connect's College Advisory Committee and Leadership Academy members Sakina Godfrey, JJ Abraham Flores, and Joseph Nathaniel Cuenca. To apply for LA Opera Connect's College Advisory Committee or for more information about our learning and community programming, please visit laopera.org community. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited to be here. My name is Xochitl Hernandez. I am 24 years old. I come from California State University, Northridge, where I graduated with my Bachelor's of Music in Vocal Performance. I was an intern for LA Opera Connects, and I was a part of College Advisory Committee. And I am currently a reporter for NBC Right Now and Telemundo in uh, Kennewick, Washington, and on my way to get my master's of music in vocal performance. And hello, I'm Christy Brown Montesano. I'm chair of music history at the Colbert Conservatory in Los Angeles. I'm also a lecturer at UCLA, where I have the pleasure right now of teaching an introduction to opera class to undergraduates, which has been wonderful. I myself am an opera scholar. I've worked on a lot of issues with opera, including opera and representation of women, opera in film, and opera in children. So I'm delighted to be here to talk with these fantastic college students. Yes, and we're joined today by students who participate in LA Opera's college programs for a discussion about the college experience as it relates to opera. My name is Sakina Godfrey. I'm a rising senior at Pepperdine University, majoring in vocal performance. I'm a member of the LA Opera College Advisory Committee, and I aspire to be a professional opera singer one day. Hola a todos. I'm JJ Abraham Flores. I'm a second year at USC studying journalism. This is my third year interning at the LA Opera through the Academy Internship Program. Right now I'm in public relations and I used to work with the LA Opera Connect, as I mentioned in the podcast. Yeah, super excited to be here. Hi, everyone. My name is Joseph Nathaniel Cuenca. I am a fourth year at the University of California, Riverside. I'm a music major on the composition track. Uh, in the future, I want to use my skills as a composer to write new opera that focus on disenfranchised and kind of displaced communities to better uh, examine things that plague our societies and help propel us forward. Let's talk about how do you approach opera when you see it, meaning how frequently have you attended operas and where or how have they been presented to you? So at my university, we have one opera a year. That was my first exposure to opera. But apart from that, I'm able to go to L.A. Opera and watch some of the productions there because of the Call It a Visory Committee. So I've also watched some live streams on both Medici TV and The Met whenever they were doing the live COVID live streams. Those are pretty much my examples of exposure to opera. Uh, I kind of have like a strange history with opera. I was introduced to it uh, by my mother when I was very young. There was always something playing in the house, whether it was like Tornado or Madama Butterfly, something going on. Uh, and I had a deep infatuation with that. And then... Once uh, I started to get older, expanding my music taste and stuff, I kind of didn't necessarily fall out of my relationship with it, but it did kind of thin for a little while. And then once I 
return to my journey through through music after being a, a business administration major for a little while. You know, I was like, this is the type of music that I, I particularly enjoy and have like an undying passion for that I seem to kind of have this constant return to. Um, so then after that, it was a lot of, you know, looking at uh, things from LA Opera, you know, promotional stuff from LA Opera, and then just like Sakina, watching things on uh, Medici TV, and then also partaking in the in the live streams that the Met was doing uh, during the pandemic. So, yeah. For myself, coming from a low-income Latinx household, I was never really exposed to opera growing up, and it was always like almost viewed as something for really rich people, something that wasn't really connected to my community. And so the first time I actually saw an opera was when I was already working for the LA Opera. I saw La Boheme, and then I saw Magic Flute. The Magic Flute. <laughs> I think right now that's my favorite opera. And it's really interesting because I've actually been most exposed to opera through working here. I took kind of a different approach, I think, because uh, I came in almost from the business side of things, working with Connect, and not really from the artistic point of view as Joseph and Sakina did but now that I was here and I now when I was with Connect I saw like all of the programming that we do to make sure that communities like mine do have access to it because now that I've actually experienced opera I've seen how amazing it is and just how intense everything is uh, I was always into musical theater so operas that fit on steroids <laughs> exactly all three of you were talking about how you were exposed to opera. What would you say your personal experience with opera has been like? How does it resonate with you personally? How do you navigate the opera world, uh, whether that's with your friends or uh, mentors, professors, videos? How do, how do you navigate it to have it resonate with you personally? I feel like as a vocalist, as I progressed in my vocal journey, I found that my classical voice was really a manifestation of my soul. And I know that that sounds like really cheesy, but it really felt like the best way to express myself musically. And so that's why opera resonates with me so greatly and why it is like the genre of music that I really want to hone in on. I would say that when I'm watching an opera, what resonates with me is when the character is really feel real because like obviously people don't really go around and sing everything that happens to them in life but I think it's really magical when you're watching a show and people are doing that and it feels like real life. Yeah speaking on that point that Sakina made about being genuine and that idea of representation I think that's where I also resonate with opera or characters in opera which is something that my work strives to do is how do we accurately represent people on stage from different backgrounds and different diversities, different socioeconomic backgrounds and stuff, you know, because opera, we have to admit, has a kind of a long history of inaccurate representation of different uh, communities and different cultures when it comes to, like, the community of people who live with mental illness, you know, that's kind of a touchy one with, with opera, with, you know, the infamous mad scene and stuff. And so for me, what resonates with me in opera, stories about real people, that's the stuff that resonates with me with those stories is stories that hold accurate representations of people and talk about a, a diverse set of communities. For me, it's just like the rest of the arts, just like any art form, because it, it provides a space to have community, both as the artists on stage and as the audience watching. Like we're all able to experience it and 
every time I leave like any sort of production, I always just feel like inspired and just like happy because at the end of the day, like we're working every single day. And so to be able to experience art and an art form like opera that combines so many art forms is awesome. I'm really moved by the variety of answers we have here. First, in your early encounters with opera from childhood, I found that really interesting, Joseph, that you talked about. Your mom always had things. I had my grandmother who was always playing things. And, and that's a really, to kind of learn it as a child before you're aware of what you're learning. Or you've even said yes to it, really, right? It's there. It's part of something you know. But I also relate to the idea of meeting opera in college or much later because that was my experience my grandmother played ballet more so i had a lot of ballet music that was introduced but opera was a late comer for me even as an opera scholar i had no idea i would go on to do that and i think also this awareness that it called you in a new way jj what you talked about this that you know this was you had ideas about what the genre was culturally it definitely has a reputation as being elitist it's not a cheap entertainment to put on and really isn't that cheap necessarily to go to, I mean, to be perfectly honest. So I wondered, besides the relationship with LA Opera or potentially things that you're composing or what, what are other ways that you are watching or taking in opera? And what ways can you imagine taking a friend or bringing somebody else? And what do you think would be the thing that you would entice them with? Like, what would you say to bring somebody your age up here to a performance that you think might interest them as opposed to them going an opera and kind of looking at you bewildered? I actually have experience recently with that. My two colleagues actually who are with me at UCR, uh, one of them who, whom is graduating uh, in a couple of weeks, very proud of her. They had never been to an opera before and they found out that I was working with LA Opera Connects and I had informed them like, hey, you know, part of a little perk is that we have the potential to have some tickets to certain selected operas and I'd like to take you folks to, to some if I can, you know, if, if there's enough there you know, enough tickets reserved for me. And so anytime there were like, hey, you know, you can get up to three, I'd be like, do you want to go? You know, you kind of get that reaction, I think, from them of like, oh, you know, maybe it's not my scene or it's not for me. And uh, again, that goes back to a lot of what JJ was bringing up with like elitism and, you know, that that kind of that culture that surrounds that and like, oh, people who listen to opera or people who listen to classical music or kind of, you know, hoity-toity or kind of haughty, if you will. The one that I took them to was Cinderella. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I took them to that. I was like, well, why don't I introduce you to, you know, some, a, a comedy and something kind of funny rather than you watching people get stabbed on stage or <laughs> people dying or, you know, going through really miserable experiences on stage. And so I think that was kind of my gateway there was how can I make it a warm kind of welcoming environment where we all can kind of share a laugh initially. And then after that, if they feel like, yeah, you know, that melodic line really resonated with me, or I really like that scene. And I kind of want to see more scenes like that in context of other operas. And then at that point, they'd be like, 
maybe I do want to see someone get stabbed on stage or something, you know, maybe I do want to watch something like that. And so that was kind of like the ease in was let's watch something funny together. And, you know, it's, it's free. So that was part of that financial barrier that we broke down. I would say like from that experience, one big tip would like to introduce people to operas. Like if you have the funds for that, or if there's a way that, you know, there's a discounted price or there's like a free opera going on, even going to like, local operas. It doesn't necessarily have to be at the Met or LA Opera, you know, staying in your community, supporting your local artists, supporting your local ensembles and stuff who do make events free. Most people don't consider that, but, you know, take them to something like that and something that has a message or a story that, you know, would resonate with them. And so that would be like my initial um, way of pulling people in, I think. For me, I'll tell a bit of a story. My junior year of high school, I had just started working here at the LA Opera and my school got a bunch of free tickets to come and watch the magic flute. And so everyone was getting these forms so that they can take to their parents. And they were all like, the opera? No, like, I'll just, I'll just like stay here. And I was like, okay, first off, you get to skip class. Like, hello. But then um, what I found myself like convincing them with is I, I had already seen it. Um, and so I, I was just amazed at the visuals, specifically of the magic flute. And so I was telling them, like, y'all, have you seen Spider-Verse, like, Into the Spider-Verse? Like, you know how the art there, like, any, you can just freeze any frame there and from that movie, and it's, like, belongs in a museum? It's, like, this is, this is that. All of the sets are, I think, were hand-painted. And I was telling them, like, you guys, this is art. Like, you are going to enjoy this so much. They're like, but we don't even understand, like, what it says. I'm like, honestly, the music is amazing. Like, the subtitles are on the top. There's action. There's adventure. Going off of what Joseph was talking about earlier, connection is a really big way to inspire people to go to an opera. Like, I think that the financial barrier is obviously, like, a really big discourager for a lot of people especially young people because you don't really want to spend a whole bunch of money to go see something that is completely out of your comfort zone and you've never interacted with before like you're not sure if you're going to enjoy it so you wouldn't want to like potentially waste a bunch of money but it really helps if you have a friend that's already going and has spare tickets um, if you know someone who's in there or if you know something about the show like Cinderella for example. Yeah, that's a really good point is this idea of, and you've all hinted at this, there are other, but it's particularly Joseph, um, you talked about this in the Sakina, this idea of if you know somebody or a community thing, it doesn't have to be the big house all the time. There are opportunities. I mean, LA Opera is really great about offering student tickets and there are possibilities, but we're lucky actually in this city that there are smaller groups, opera producers in the general Southern California area, but also universities. And I think a lot of people don't realize they could go and see people their age in a program, right? And get a lot out of that precisely because of the kind of instant connection. These are people on campus with you or people that are your age more or less. So I love that. Yeah, me too. I mean, I really relate to everything that you have all said because um, being a, a middle-class Latina girl uh, growing up, I wasn't really exposed to opera. And I also thought, oh, opera is like for really rich people. It's like the really like, you know, high class art form. 
And so when I uh, knew I wanted to major in music in college, I thought, oh, this is really out of my league because I, I think the, you know, we can talk about maybe microaggressions or things the way society has been built in an elitist fashion or even a Eurocentric fashion where it makes you feel like you're not qualified for that dream. So that could also be a play in the younger generation, especially in our growing diverse population who feel like, oh, opera is not for me, like, uh, you know, so as you know, people and younger people in college and, you know, what, how do you think the opera industry and opera companies can be better about, you know, really attracting a young generation, but not just a young generation, a generation of all economic standings, not just the wealthy, but also the low income and not just white centered, but, you know, people of color, Latinx, black people, the Asian community, the Arabic community. How can we go about attracting all types of ages, all types of ethnicities, all types of socioeconomic standings to be interested in opera, especially your age? The biggest avenue that you could take to people in our generation is probably certainly going to be social media. I think that a lot of opera companies could really benefit from following some other companies and industries, their example, and really paying attention to like trends and how they can get the people that work for them inside of their company and their performers to reach out to this younger generation of people. Because I feel like a lot of people our age don't even know that this is still going on. You know? Yeah, I agree with what uh, Sakina was saying um, with social media and especially that that point about people not really knowing that opera exists anymore. You know, I've, I've had that experience, too, with with some people that I know from other universities where it's like, oh, opera's still a thing. It's like, yeah, it's you know, it's it's still alive and well. I mean, it might sound or look like it's dying, but it's not, you know, it's still kicking. Um, but a lot of that comes from, again, a good point that Sakina brought up was that lack of social media or that lack of being able to promote that and being able to um, make young people excited about it, you know, because, again, it all goes back to that cultural kind of um, association with opera. But another thing, too, I think, is um, telling your story or, or voicing your opinion on the matter or telling us what you think. I think this this generation or, you know, uh, young people in general kind of like having that interaction there with larger companies or companies at all where it's like yeah they really care about what we think and they care about what we care about and so one thing that i was kind of considering was like festivals you know festivals get people excited or a festival of like new composers would be good or anyone who wants to try their hand at like writing an opera a smaller work you know something like that and it's like hey you get a chance to be commissioned at your age and you know i think the moment you start taking young people seriously and you give them those opportunities to grow in themselves at, at you know, at, at that start, like 18 up, where people kind of are like, oh yeah, you're a young adult, you don't really know what you're doing. But if you give them that voice, if you give them up that opportunity, that platform, they might make, you know, the next, the next big hitting opera that really resonates with a lot of people. Like myself, for instance, I just premiered my senior thesis uh, last week, two weeks ago. Um, and the only reason I was able to do that was because my university believed in me. You know, they gave me, uh, it was $10,000 as a, as a, uh, a grant, you know, to say, Hey, here's this amount of money, put your thing on. And I did, and I wouldn't have been able to do that had there not been that call for like, you know, 
we really want to know what you think and what you care about and what your undergraduate thesis is about. So I think that's a big way to get more young people involved is like really making sure that we're hearing them and we understand that we have that connection there of saying like, I hear you. I want to know what you think. Try your hand at this. And it's okay if it's not perfect because it doesn't have to be. This is your first time. This is your first one. I completely agree with Joseph. Like we need to start at the beginning. I think right now there isn't really a market for new operas. We basically just have a rotation of centuries old operas and every time a new season rolls around we're like okay which which one are we going to which ones are we going to do and we already know them all and you look at other industries that's not how that works you look at the tv industry like no it, you have a series that's successful they're you're going to keep making it and if it's not then boom okay people watch it and they move on you look at, at broadway even exactly the same thing lion king has been on broadway for so long because it's successful but new things are coming and going. And so we haven't shown enough that we want those things. And so I think uh, opera companies, we need to, we need to show and, and encourage young people to create operas that matter to us. Like Hamilton is technically an opera. Is it, is it done differently? Yeah, but it's, it's a new take on the art form. Rent was an opera in the 1980s. All of these are things that we need to keep encouraging because right now I don't even think that there is that market but we need to we need to honestly just redefine what opera can mean and bring it into the 21st century following up on what you guys just said i agree with all that you said and i can't emphasize enough that as young people i really think that we want to see ourselves whether that be in the cast of things or just see ourselves represented but i think that the broader question of like how we can make opera more accessible to like marginalized communities for example I really think that exposure and giving people first opportunities that aren't, you know, that they don't have to jump over a bunch of hurdles to get to is so important. So if we had like opera companies come into these communities and just give even like one or two free performances just to open a few people's eyes and make them think, huh, you know, I never thought I would have enjoyed opera, but maybe this is going to be a new hobby for me. Or if we could just then take the next step of offering some vouchers, you know, just things that make it a little bit easier for people to develop a passion in this. Yeah, I, I really like what uh, JJ and Sakina are saying. And there's kind of like, interestingly enough, if you take what both of uh, you folks are saying, you kind of synthesize it. There's like an even greater potential there because it's like, you know, JJ, you're talking about new works and like, you know, playing the same, you know, classical composer stuff. Like we've heard Turnado a thousand times, you know, times a million. We've heard that story again and again and again. And then Sakina, you know, with, with the free performance stuff. And I think there's a, there's a trajectory there or a potential there where it's like, we can promote those new works and like actively make people excited about that stuff instead of going like, oh my gosh, we have this, this opera again going on mixing that in with like, hey, this is an opera about, you know, a member of the LGBTQ community and making a fresh new opera with something that resonates with, I'd say, a good portion of us in this generation, but also making that first experience free. And that kind of propels those things forward and go and makes us think like, hey, like opera is still fresh and it's still new. And like, I'm able to access these things early. And then I'm willing, once I have that financial security there, I can 
participate in that further or, you know, donate to opera houses, donate to smaller opera companies so I can still have these experiences or, or it's kind of like um, everything has a return, right? So the more you're investing in that and the more that people are willing to invest in you, there's that, there's that give and take and that kind of creates a stronger connection, a strong bond um, that fuels things. So I, I really like what both of you are saying in, in conjunction with each other and how we can like push that stuff forward and really propel that. So what can younger people in this younger generation bring to the table in terms of opera? I think that we as young people definitely have a new and different perspective that has not been seen before in opera and in a lot of art forms. I think that we have a lot of life experiences and messages to communicate that a lot of us have shared that we're not seeing expressed in this art form that could really benefit the longevity of it. I think for me, working, having the opportunity to work with the LA Opera, I think there's so much more to be found in opera, such as like a career like I have. So I'm not on the stage. I'm not performing. I'm not even helping. I'm not even behind the stage, like trying to help them do that. But I, I help market. I help connect the community to it. And I just don't think, like, previously to working here, I didn't know that the LA Opera had a whole team, like a whole staff, that in charge of not just putting something on the stage, but in charge of making sure people know about it. There are entire careers, and the Academy Internship Program that I'm a part of is is an awesome example of that, and I know that we're going to keep doing amazing things like that. Yeah, and uh, another thing, too, that we can do as, as young people to help kind of keep opera alive and get more people interested in that and uh, just kind of promoting that healthy future of opera is educating ourselves. You know, we're already in the process of being educated and, you know, we're all going in for our undergraduate degrees. We're all studying, hitting the books. Like uh, I have a book here that I read often, uh, History of Opera by Carolyn Abbott and Roger Parker. You know, I educate myself on those things, that history, where did it come from? Why? Where this, where did the stereotypes come from? What are the things that plague opera? Because once we educate ourselves, we're able to become advocates and build stronger communities amongst each other. You know, young people like myself, you know, I tend to listen more uh, to my peers than just some random person, you know, who uh, might have more authority over me. It's just kind of like... There's, there's, a, there's a gap there because um, it kind of feels more like a lecture rather than, hey, I too am currently experiencing this thing versus I have experienced this thing. You know, there's a, there's a difference there with that context um, with how things have happened. And so when you yourself as a young person are educating yourself and you're involved and you're kind of using yourself as the example with your colleagues or with your peers, like, hey, you know, I'm getting interested in this and I'm involved in this and stuff that kind of has a, a ripple effect outward and it builds those communities. It's kind of, it's inspiring, you know, for your peers to kind of be that that focal person or that focal point to go, well, they're doing it, so I can do that too. And so, um, yeah, I think it all comes down to, to education and advocacy, really. I'm really interested in this well, the questions that have come up with all the things you're saying, uh, JG, I was struck by, I mean, you really hit the nail on the head with the idea that the, the, both the, the blessing and the curse of what we call the canonic repertoire, right? If you go and look on Opera Base, which has been collecting worldwide 
productions and giving numbers, it is a little dismaying to see how consistently there's about seven operas that are always in the top 10. And they're, I mean, a lot of those operas are op like the magic flute um, that in fact attract audiences. And because uh, opera houses, unlike Broadway, which is maybe a theater, but it's not basically the presenting, the opera is both the presenting institution. It's got to make a nonprofit. It's still got to pay for all those jobs. And so one of the problems I've seen with the canon and I'd love to have is, first of all, it can often be the thing that attracts you. All of you talked about some moment where you heard kind of a well-known opera. On the other hand, in terms of keeping it fresh, reinvigorating the genre as it lives today, but also I was thinking, Sakina, you know, talking about issues of diversity and access that you were questioning, and I ask all three of you, but have you had a canonic work that you found a real struggle to embrace? And can you think of how, you know, are there works that actually you think are really popular but problematic? Or are there ways that you think we can both face those problems and how would we do that and keep the works? I know that's a pretty big question, but since it's something that I'm talking about with my students at UCLA, I really would love to hear what you think because as a singer, Sakina, you're going to be thinking about that. As a composer, Joseph, you're going to also have to think, what would those new works look like and how would they interact with older works? JJ, when you talked about the magic flute and other, I'm sure there are, there are things you thought, wow, that was beautiful. The production was exciting, but there may have been socio-political issues that are a little bit more problematic. The waiting for the person to get stabbed. And let's be honest, it's usually a woman getting stabbed. So what do you do with that? Like, where do you, like, if you had to talk to your friends about this, about kind of the political and socio-political aspects of opera, have you had those conversations? Have you had those challenges yourself? I would love to hear more. As soon as you got started talking about like some canonical operas that might have been problematic or were like hard for me to connect with, the first memory that came to mind was my freshman year, my university was putting on a production of Johnny Skiki. And I will never forget, obviously, Laretta's O Mio Babino is beautiful, but I just thought to myself, wow, she's so stupid. And I was like, obviously, I would love to sing this aria someday professionally, but I have no idea how I would connect to her. She's just a complete airhead. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of soprano and female characters like that in opera, and people don't really think about the way that women and other people are being portrayed in these instances. And I just also think about some productions I've seen of the magic flute, the way that they handle slavery in it. There's a lot of ugly things that we don't acknowledge in this industry a lot of the time because they're classics and there's really gorgeous music in these things. But it's really something that you have to confront if you're going to continue writing on it for so long as we are with these really popular operas. Yeah, I agree completely um, with what Sakina is saying, like, uh, especially on the note about how, how women are portrayed in opera and that really dirty history there. It's just, we can do more from a lot of different angles to not necessarily change the past, but um, change what we're doing now, not to correct the past, but show that we've progressed and we've done more to 
not participate in that anymore, you know, because you have to remember those operas are being written by, you know, white men, typically, you know, uh, older white men who have uh, certain views, especially back in back in the day uh, when we weren't as accepting or understanding of those issues and, you know, what what people really go through. And so from a compositional perspective, more on the composer side, we have to tell stories that, again, going back to earlier points that we were making, that deal with accurate representation, you know, and deal with really honing in on how do we talk about something accurately, which means as a composer, you must be doing your research. You must be involved in the community that you're talking about. You absolutely must have those perspectives from the people that you're talking or writing about, because if not, you're just using your own. It's kind of like talking in a vacuum chamber. You know, you're always right because you haven't spoken to anyone outside of yourself as a composer. And you just think that, oh, my views are set because I think I'm on this like self-righteous kind of, you know, um, <laughs> kind of a uh, role here. And I'm just going to sit on my soapbox without actually putting in the hard work and doing the research and doing what I need to do as a composer to, to bring those stories to life and give those stories validity and, and life. And so like, like going back to what I just did recently for my senior thesis, the opera that I wrote called Schism was about mental health and mental illness and how do we represent people who accurately, people who live with mental illness, what does that feel like? How can we better um, talk about that? You know, it is taboo now that um, we're getting a little bit better about talking about it, but still there's a stigma attached to that. How do we use opera to dismantle that stigma? How do I tell that story and show and normalize that? That's a lot of that is normalization. And so for me, I had to go through a lot of research. I read through psychiatric journals. I read through I, I examined mad scenes and how ugly those words, you know, the, like um, first one I think of is Lucia de la Memor, you know, it, that's the biggest one. She's covered in blood or wedding dress and it's a total inaccurate representation of what a, uh, a mental health crisis looks like. And of course, opera has a kind of ugly history of making it women who have mental health crises that are, you know, inaccurately portrayed. And so again, going back to the question, compositionally from the composer's perspective is you need to put in the work. You have to, you absolutely must, because if you just sit on some imaginary box that you're sitting on as a new composer, you get nowhere. And that helps no one, that helps no one progress. Like on Gold Mountain, that's a big one because obviously there's research and personal experience involved with that. And that's why it resonates with the community that it was meant to resonate with, you know, is because there was all that work, all that love involved when you put in the work you're showing that you love that community or you have a you have a certain um affinity for them and that you want them to feel your love and and you know that's without going on my soapbox that's what music is about right is showing people like i hear you and i love you and here's this thing that i'm writing for you to represent you that you can sing and that you can connect with so you can move through your life I also think that by continuing to prioritize these old works over anything new, what we're kind of implicitly saying is we prioritize money over artistic expression. So good. Yeah, so, so good. I'm, I'm just going to keep saying that. <laughs> um, and a lot of you keep 
you know, touching on this about how composers can use the opera to, you know, affect change in different ways. And so, you know, we are living in a very tumultuous time. There are so many political issues. There's so much bigotry. There's so much division. There is racism. There is brutality. How do you think that opera can reflect those times and really affect social change? That's the first part of the question. And the second part would be how could opera really represent diversity more and diverse storytelling? So to answer both parts of the question, there's one thing that my mentor, Dr. Dana Kaufman, said to me once that kind of resonated with me and stuck with me is that, uh, and this is answering the second half of that question is, uh, before I go into the first part, is that opera is kind of the pinnacle of, of art, right? You know, you have everything in it. You have dance, you have visual arts involved with it, you know, paintings and sculpture, all that stuff. And you have obviously the musical arts and then there's performing arts. It's, it has everything in there. Every art form you could ever think of is represented. And that's like the pinnacle of humanity. And so when you tell stories that have a f effect and they, they're deeply rooted in communities that you're trying to reach out to or people that you're trying to stand with, you're connecting with them on like the most human level, which is through opera, because you're 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 giving them everything. You're saying, you know, here's a dance in your culture. I'm going to represent it here on stage. Here's a painting, like you know, if it's a, an opera about like the Latinx community. Here's something that's representative of like Francisco de, de de Goya, you know, that we're putting on right here, and you can see that. And so there's a way that opera is just so human. It's one of the most human art forms down there. Because of that, it blurs that line and is able to to mend those worlds there between what we're seeing on stage and reality. And it helps to bring those things to to fruition. Those things that we really need to talk about and. Going back to that first part of the question, my colleagues and I just did that in April. We have the same mentor teaches a class called Creating Micro Operas. And so our job as composers in that class is you need to tell an opera in 10 minutes. And so you need to write a full opera in 10 minutes. You need to tell me a story in 10 minutes. And my colleagues did such amazing things. There was one about, about police brutality and talking about what that experience was like and um, when we were watching the performance, I was really moved by that. I was like, oh my gosh, like I never would have thought to use that harmonic language to talk about that. And that really hits a chord with me and that, or that, that hurts me, you know, seeing that on stage. One of them was talking about microplastics and pollution and stuff. And he made it a comedy because it's like, you know, people re respond and react to comedy and stuff. And how do we use that to talk about a bigger issue? And so... I think that that's where it starts is because opera is so human as it is already, it's our responsibility as, as composers to take that art form and go, I know what the potential is. I'm going to hone in on that and make something that's important instead of, you know, something that just continues to dismantle the, the bridging of communities that, you know, we're, we're striving for. And so I think that's, uh, that's where that starts. I think that, in order to successfully tell these kinds of stories, you have to have both a composer and a librettist who is both experienced in the subject and is passionate about the subject. And I think that's where a lot of some of the more popular and classic operas have really missed the mark in their portrayals of underrepresented groups. 
And I think, unfortunately, the people who do match that description that could be making these operas often don't have the support, like, socially or financially to really both make or share these stories widely. As Joseph said, like, opera is very human, but it's also very surreal. Nobody just starts singing out of nowhere just that powerfully. Nobody does things that intensely. However, because it's so surreal, I think it lends it lends it to be used for social change. For example, like to give an example of Afro surrealism uh, in a TV show, Donald Glover's Atlanta is like an incredible show that it talks about racism and bigotry and and misogyny in in all of these different ways, and people people categorize it as a comedy. But you look at the script and like. Nothing about it is funny. They're facing these horrible things. And we only laugh because it's, it's like ridiculous, like how these things are real. I think it's a type of the art form that opera will lend itself a lot to. It's been seen in TV shows like Atlanta. And if we can make surreal operas, like, boom. JJ, that is a really, really interesting point, because one thing I've always thought about is that some of the most well-received, critically acclaimed new operas are also very serious. So, you know, I'm thinking Ted Hearn's The Source and even going a little farther about Dead Man Walking and a Prism with Ellen Reed. These are very, very serious operas, and they usually don't easily uh, move to the comic. And that's something I've often thought about how I think one of the, the, the difficulties for new composers, and I don't know, Joseph, maybe you have a thought, is finding a, those different types of spaces. Yeah, like you said, maybe a little bit of surrealism or, or a kind of comedy that is not funny in the usual ways. But I can't, I think those have been the harder ones to make. It's almost like the language got so entrenched with big voices and not of the 19th century that they don't know how to write something that's comic. And, and, and in general, the things, except for maybe the ghosts of Versailles, the things I've seen have had a harder time. I wondered, because I think that's a really good point about how television has leveraged comedy to actually deal with serious things. Maybe, Joseph, or, and if you have seen a new opera or any of those shorts you talked about, which I think is a wonderful, I would love to see those 10-minute those operas you talked about the one how did they deal vocally like how do you deal with those with the st musical style to make it comic i was curious about that yeah so with uh the one about um microplastics and pollution i think the exact title of his micro opera was um uh a, a solution to plastic pollution it was so we already have like a rhyme scheme and stuff and we established that hey there's kind of something funny going on here um, but he's talking about a really serious subject. You know, he's talking, he, he um, flexed in like flat facts and stuff throughout, but the way he framed it too was as like a, like a PBS talk show kind of thing. And the harmonic language that he was using, like in the beginning, we hear that kind of like PBS sound, like with the, the harmonies, the do, 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 you know, that classic, um, like, Hey, we're tuning in now to an educational program, but vocally and stylistically, he did this interesting thing where like, the voice lent itself well to repetition. And when we repeat a phrase, you know, he kind of repeats it in this weird way where we open up a new register of the voice, or there's a different timbre that's going on with the second way that it repeats. And 
Um, it's usually, uh, like a lot of people say that all comedy is, is like tragedy plus time. And so timing things rhythmically in the voice and timing things like that in his micro opera was really well balanced and perfected really. And, you know, we all got a lot of laughs out of it because, you know, at, at some point in the opera, there's like a big argument that happens and like there are expletives thrown out there, you know, here and there. But I think vocally and stylistically with, with the art form, there are lots of things you can do as, you know, and a lot of that comes with understanding how the voice works and stuff like that, which goes back to that whole idea of like education and making sure that we're supporting each other um, and having access to educational programs or having access to mentors and stuff like that is because, you know, once we have that, we can write these serious operas with uh, comedic undertones that push that message, just like what JJ was saying, you know, having that serious topic there, but being able to play with the medium enough to go. It's almost like passive participation in a way, because it's just like, I know you know what I'm talking about, and we both understand it, and you might not admit it to me, but you sitting there are going to understand it, and you're going to admit it to yourself, because you understand that comic undertone, just like JJ was saying. You know, like, we all understand that that's bad. And that's why it's so funny is because it's ridiculous. It's like, why is that going on? Why is that even happening? Why is that a thing? Yeah. So that's one way that we can do that from a, a compositional perspective. How do you think in the future we can make the arts and opera especially more accessible? And what do you think is something people misunderstand or overlook about opera? And so because of that, how can we make it more accessible for the future? And I would also add breaking down barriers to accessing the arts. I think that first and foremost, it really starts young. Like I think about my exposure to choral music and to musical theater, and all of that happened as soon as elementary school. Um, in middle school, we were putting on productions of musicals. I know it's really difficult for younger singers because your voice gets stronger as you age, but I think that there are good ways that we could really introduce young people to operatic singing and put operas in front of them in schools and to not make it just some, something that happens in affluent neighborhoods, just to make it more common. Because I think that that is where people are more likely and most likely to develop passions and um, to keep, you know, putting their time, money and energy into things as they grow older. Yeah, I agree completely with that. As Kina is saying, with that stuff is like starting young, starting early, you know, children are sponges. When you put them in front of a television show made for children, they absorb that stuff and that sits with them and those become core memories. Again, going back to my experience with my mother, you know, always hearing opera in the house somewhere, you know, there's always someone singing, there's always someone uh, doing something, there's always Pavarotti on somewhere. It's like, I absorbed that and I really resonated um, with like, wanting to sing that stuff and that drama that's involved and like having to sing from your gut, you know, and your diaphragm is, it's fun. And I think that's another part of it is making opera fun for people and doing the things that, you know, LA opera is already doing, like having those community outreach programs with going out to younger audiences and saying, Hey, do you want to come watch an opera? Or, Hey, maybe instituting some composition programs. Like, Hey, do you want to work with uh, like a, a local composer and all of you folks can work on a collaborative opera together. And a lot of it is just like involvement. Again, like what Sakina was saying was 
at a young age, just getting people involved right away. And on top of that, and I'm gonna get back on my soapbox for a second, supporting the arts. Stop taking away funding from the arts. Starting young is really the best way to tell people, no, in fact, opera is for you. I really want to commend like LA Opera Connect because having worked there for like two years, I saw just how much a team of like five or six people was able to accomplish. Um, and everything that we've talked about today, like we've done that. One day I listed all of the programs that we did and I think it was about 28 programs that we do just throughout the year from making operas happen in elementary schools and middle schools and high schools, including my high school, to putting on um, simulcasts. I think one is coming up uh, where we show operas for free in communities like Compton and Santa Monica. We put up this giant screen and people are free to come and it's completely live opera and we do that. And that's just three of the programs of the 28 that like I think a six person team does on the yearly. LA Opera is a pioneer and I'm grateful and honored to be able to work with them. I would just like to say you are three amazing people. So our our college guests just I'm I'm really blown away by your creativity, your your intelligence in more than ways in so many ways, your social awareness, your your desire for change, your ability to see the need for change and come up with ideas, um, and all of you leveraging your experience to create those things that you want to see, which is just, it's really wonderful. So I want to thank you for just all that you brought uh, to us today. Um, I've learned a lot just hearing you talk about your experiences. Yes, thank you so much. You are all wonderful and all just very smart and brilliant. You know, it's wonderful to see people that's brilliant involved in the arts. And it seems like we're all on the same page here and trying to diversify and progress the arts so that it can have a regeneration as well as just a rebirth that it's not gonna go anywhere. It's gonna continue to thrive with people like you. To apply for LA Opera Connect's College Advisory Committee or for more information about our learning and community programming, please visit laopera.org community. You've been listening to LA Opera's Behind the Curtain. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, you'll want to make sure you don't miss an episode. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Remember to share with your friends on your favorite social media, and we'll see you at the opera. Opera.